you know we're a blessed church. You, you know that, don't you? It's, uh, what we were able to experience was actually the premier performance of this arrangement of a mighty fortress. The arranger, I'd like to meet that man, this uh, Thunderbird character. I've, I've heard he's quite a, quite a character. Dwayne, thank you so much. It's such a blessing, both uh, Dwayne, as well as Alex Russell. Alex was here in the earlier service who played violin are at Azusa Pacific University and very much a part of our church family. They're leaving tomorrow uh, for Korea. And then uh, John Sutton, who leads our worship time and, and conducts the uh, choir, is going to be traveling up the coast, right, with the APU choir. We're just so thankful that in addition to your calling there, that God's called you here and you're a part of the family. And I'll tell you, I, I wish we had a third and fourth service so that I could hear this, hear this again, but we don't. Our scripture reading this morning is found again in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 5, I want you to turn there, and as you turn there, and and if you can find it back near the end, the book of Luke, chapter 19, Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then we'll just quickly flip over to Luke chapter 19. And I want us to uh, stand, because we are going to be hearing our Father's word, beginning with verse 4. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. And he said, verse 6, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he brought us out to live in a certain way. And that brings us to the eighth command in verse 19. You shall not steal. Now, as we turn to Luke chapter 19, we find that when Jesus meets a person, then the way we apply this eighth command to our lives is seen in the lives of one individual. It's something that we studied earlier this year, and we read about it in Luke chapter 19. It's Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who after Jesus had called him down from the tree and was going to come over to his home, we come to verse 7 of Luke 19. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a child of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And this is the gospel, and this indeed is the word of God. Thanks be to God. In Khaled Hosseini's best-selling book, Kite Runner, that came out a few years ago, Kosseini uh, tells the story of a, of a boy in Afghanistan named Amir from a very, very wealthy home. And as he was a boy, he began to learn a lot about evil outside there in the world and even among other children. But as he grew older, he began to see that the evil wasn't just out there. It was also in here, as in one of the heart wrenching parts of the story. He betrayed uh, his friend, Hassan, who was the poor son of his father's servant. 
And as he thought about all this, he makes a statement that I'd never gotten when I read it. It was on the airplane. This is what he said. Uh, no matter what the mullah teaches, the mullah is the Islamic male uh, religion teacher. Uh, no matter what the mullah teaches, there is only one sin, only one, and that is theft. When you kill a man, you steal a life. You steal his wife's right to a husband, rob his children of a father. When you tell a lie, you steal someone's right to the truth. When you cheat, you steal the right to fairness. Now, I remember reading that, marking it, and thinking, I think that's a bit overstated. And yet, as we've come to these Ten Commandments, I've begun to think about this in a bit of a new way. Because when you think about it, in many ways, he's right. When you look at the First Commandments, dealing with our relationship to God, when we do not put God first, when we try to create God to be the way we want him to be, when, when we don't represent his name well in the world, we steal God of his honor, his reputation and his glory in this world. Uh, when we do not honor parents in the way that we talked about here, we rob people of, of relationship, of relationship that is so important. When we come to other commandments, such as when we take a human life in the way that uh, Hassini talks about, we, we steal so much a person of a life, a, a wife of a husband, a child of a father. Uh, when we commit adultery, we, we steal someone of a spouse, either present or future. It goes on and on and on. So perhaps in many ways I thought he might be right. And then I began taking time this past week to look back at how brothers and sisters in Christ over the centuries have taken time to look at the whole teaching of Scripture about this eighth command, you shall not steal, and to see how it applies. And I tell you, they began to see it in a much broader way than we usually do. I just want to show you one of those. It's from the Heidelberg Catechism, written back in the late part of the 16th century. Christians who've gone on before us have learned this to learn about how we live for God, how we walk with God. And when you come to the Eighth Commandment, there are two questions. Look at them. Question 110. Uh, what does God forbid in the Eighth Command? And the answer, in looking at the whole of Scripture, God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the courts, but he includes, under the name of stealing, all deceitful tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves anything belonging to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights, inaccurate measurements, false reckoning of time spent in service, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, exorbitant interest or by any other means forbidden by God. So if that's what's forbidden by the Eighth Command, question 111, what does God then require in this command? And look at this carefully. He requires that I seek the advantage of my neighbor rather than my own in every instance I can and that I deal with my neighbor as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further, in the Eighth Command, that I faithfully labor and generously give so that I may be able to care for the hurting and relieve the needy. Wait a minute, you might say. All of that, under this eighth command, it just says, you shall not steal. Well, one of the points I've been trying to make throughout our entire series is that I know that many of us in our day have sort of reduced or minimized 
the Ten Commandments into just a set of rules that would be good to keep. But really, they are far more than this. God rescued his people from slavery. And then he told them how he wants us to live well, how he's created us to live. And boiling all of that down, he gave ten commands. And I think that when we think about it that way, we might begin to realize how penetrating each one of these commands is into each one of our lives. So that when we bring our lives into accordance with that, we begin to live as the maker created us to live. And I think we're going to see the same as we look at this eighth command. Are you ready? Here's where I want to begin. I think we have to start here. I began to call it a new and then I started to think, no, it's not new. A new, and they put a parenthesis, really a very, very old way of seeing the material world. Now, I think that faith in Christ changes everything about us. But one of the things we're going to see is it changes the way you and I as Christians look at the material world in which we have been put. Now, there are two verses that might help us to get at this. And uh, you probably heard them. But in the, in the light of the way most people think, I want you to see how different they are from the way the world looks. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 in the Old Testament, in which this question is posed. Will a mere mortal, that's us, <laughs> will a mere mortal rob God? But God says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And the answer is, you're robbing in not bringing tithes and offerings. I can just imagine many people saying, how can that be robbery? Uh, does that make any sense to you? In, in what way does that fit under this eighth command? Well, we'll look at it in a minute. The uh, second verse I just want you to see is in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. The Apostle Paul, writing to church people, says, okay, those of you who have been stealing must steal no longer. But must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, I, I think you should all look very startled right now. <laughs> Read that again. Look, do you see what he's getting at? He, he, he's implying that we haven't really stopped being thieves until we have learned to live lives of generosity. It seems like that in order to obey the Eighth Commandment fully, you and I always have to be ready to share with people that God brings across our paths who have needs. How can that be? Does that make sense to you? What well, changes whenever you begin to develop what I call a Christ-centered view of the world. Now, I know we have a lot of scholars. We have Azusa Pacific University faculty members here. I, I just want you to know that I'm going to be oversimplifying this. But, but, but bear with me here, because I think we have to do that because of time constraints. There are two basic ways of looking at the material world that have dominated society, world society, over the last century. The first is the one that most of us have grown up under in the West. That has been a capitalism. And in capitalism, essentially, I mean, simplistically, essentially, we think, well, my money is my own. So... Yes, I should try to be wise with it and maybe occasionally not be stingy, but I can do with, with what I've earned whatever I want to do because I've earned it. That, that's how we think in our world. Now, in contrast to that, you have socialism or communism, and a simplistic formulation would be this. No, your money is not your own. It's the people's. So you must do with that wealth whatever the whole community needs. I'll tell you, standing in stark distinction to those, 
the Christian worldview or the biblical worldview says something like this. No, no, no. And you've heard me say this before we receive offerings at times. Here's what we see. That all that we are and all that we have has been made by God. And essentially what we have has been entrusted to us by God. So even though he has entrusted it to us, we must do with material things as the ultimate owner directs. Now, those of us who have grown up here in the West, especially if you've been in a job like the one I used to have uh, in a university where I had to try to raise money, we have found that one of the hard things in capitalism is that it's very hard to get people who believe that all that we have is ours to give up any of it for anything. I'm telling you, the schemes we try to develop, people give to a vision. Boy, I better have a compelling vision. Make sure I have nice four-color charts that I can show them. I have to show them what advantage they're going to get out of all of these things to try to somehow manipulate people to give up what they feel like is theirs. On the other side, in case you haven't lived in that world, those who have grown up under totalitarianism or some view of socialism know that the opposite problem is hard. It's hard to get people motivated enough to try to produce anything if nothing can ever be theirs. And also, if we never have anything that I can say is mine, there's there's a loss of dignity that comes and joy that comes from caring for things and managing the things of this world. But the Christian view is different. The Bible says to us that even though God made everything and is the ultimate owner of everything so that the cattle on a thousand hills still are his. He has created human beings and entrusted to us so many things and said, you be a trustee of those things so that we can still care for them and even rightly say it's mine. As long as we know it's under his dominion. The word that Paul uses for us is we're stewards. We're stewards of what God has made and of what God has given us. And it's just one thing required of us. And that's that we will be found faithful as stewards. Now, how do we live in the light of that different worldview? I'll give you a couple of principles that might help us walk through it. Number one, I want us to remember that what I'm calling caretaking, taking care of material things entrusted to us, is a part of the image of God in us. It's part of the image of God in us. God has looked at the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 50, said it's mine. We're made in his image and there are things that we are to take care of. And in fact, when when we come at the very beginning of creation of us as human beings, Genesis chapter one, God created male and female in his image. What on earth does that mean? It means many things. But in the very next verse, Genesis 1:27, we get a bit of the definition of that. God said then to those made in his image. Now you be fruitful and increase, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over, have dominion over the fish of the sea. The birds of the air, I give to you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth. They will be yours. Uh, Any of you inclined towards socialism, notice that. They will be yours. There's nothing wrong with a personal pronoun in, in the Bible. We are given the opportunity to care for things because we're made in the image of God. We are asked to have dominion over things. And you have to have a domain in order to have A dominion. But the thing that makes it different is that we as Christians know that we have dominion over even while we still stand under the dominion of God. That ultimately it belongs to God. But when we care for those things that are entrusted to us, when we come to to love our homes 
us and, and the gifts that God's given to us. That's not a bad thing. Those things can become a God. Uh, we, we can give in to greediness. But the opportunity to care wisely for things is a part of God's image of us. And that's why and we see it. We know this is true. You see it at every stage in our lives. This is why little, little children, whenever they, they have their favorite toy taken away, say, that's my toy. That's, that's why teenagers, early on, whether you have a big or a small home, like to have some space that is theirs, that they can care for. It's not just teenagers, is it? I can talk about this at every stage, but especially for those who perhaps are either hitting a, an older stage in your life or you have parents who are. Why it is so hard when you have to leave that home where you've cared for it and, and you've lived there and taken care of it and moved to the retirement center. You see, that's not a bad thing. It's a part of God's image that we like to care for those things entrusted to us. Which brings me to the second principle. Since then, we still are trustees of God's gifts, of his possessions. We are always to seek to use them in keeping with his will. That whatever has been entrusted to us, we should seek to use them in keeping with his instructions, with his word. Now, the thing that I have found as I've looked at followers of Jesus all over the world is that God gives us tremendous freedom in this. It's, it's one of the great, in investing, in, in discovering and enjoying, even Jesus himself was sometimes criticized because he enjoyed things that, that John the Baptist followers didn't do. But that's one of the. But on the other side, when you boil down the instructions of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's pretty clear that God has said to us, if I'm going to entrust to you some material things, there are three things that must be there in the way that you live and that use material things. What are they? Number one, he says, be sure to use a significant portion of what I've entrusted to you to further my work. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was through the priestly system, the sacrificial system. In the New Testament, it's through the church and through the mission of God in this world. But he says, be sure to mark a part of what I've entrusted to you to further my work. Second, use a portion of what I've entrusted to you to care for the needs of my people. Uh, th that would be immediately here at the Lake Avenue Church, but beyond, similar to the New Testament, where the people in Corinth who had a great deal were called upon to use a part of what they had to care for the, those brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who were hurting. So use a part of it to care for my people. And thirdly, use a part of what I've entrusted to you to care for the poor in general. Because they're made in my image. When I bring them across your path, don't ignore them as if they're, if they're nothing. Use earmark a part of those possessions that I've entrusted to you for those three things. In, in, in the Old Testament, it was tithes and offerings that were used. In the New Testament, well, we're going to see that in, in just, uh, just a few moments. Now, in the light of this, you and I are able to understand the book of Malachi. You see, when God turns and says, you've been robbing me, and, and, and the people said, how have we been robbing you? By not bringing tithes and offerings. You see, if it was theirs in the end and they didn't give, it's just stinginess, right? But if it's God's and he is told to give and we don't give, then it's robbery. It's, it comes out of that different worldview that I, that I want us to think about. Which brings me to the third principle. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Um, and that is, okay, pastor, if God has asked me to earmark a significant portion of what he's entrusted to me for those three things... What's the guideline telling me how much? Isn't that what you wonder? Well, in the Old Testament, it was these tithes. Uh, they had three of them, you know. Uh, 
uh, two each year and, and one probably every third year. But it was used for all sorts of things. So our society has changed. In the New Testament, you don't have tithing talked about. Do you know what the guideline for us is? It's the life of Jesus. Letting the Spirit lead us, looking at the life of Jesus, and wanting to learn to give as he gives. And I'm guessing that's not going to be less generous than it was before Jesus, do you think? There's one place that just drives this home so clearly. It's a fundraising letter right in the New Testament. I talked about it earlier this year. It's it's 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul writes about these very things I'm talking to you about and tells them not to rob God, to be sure that to be generous, especially with other Christians who are hurting. And then he tries to motivate them and tell them how to give. And in chapter 8, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians, some of the clearest teaching in Scripture, he turns to people like us and he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to be thinking about it in just a few moments as we receive communion. You know that even though we didn't deserve it, he gave to us. How much? His whole life. You know the grace, the undeserved giving of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet it was for your sake that he became poor, so that you, through that poverty, might become rich. You see, when you become a follower of Jesus, we become overwhelmed with the grace, the giving of God toward us, right? And it changes our hearts as we see it. We become thankful people. But the Bible says it does something else for us. It becomes also an example for us about our own lives. And the model here is, as Christ has given to you, learn to give of that which has been entrusted to you. And that's why when you come to this eighth command, uh, you learn to see that you haven't really obeyed it simply by stopping or stealing Uh, We begin to obey it by learning to be generous as God has been generous. In other words, when you develop this way of looking at the world that a follower of Jesus does, we can never say, okay, I'll be a Christian, but then I'm going to keep doing with my possessions whatever I want. It is all that I have is God's. He has loved me and given to me in spite of myself. Now, I must be as generous with others as he has been with me. Is that clear? It's a Christian worldview that changes. It changes the way that we look at this material world. Which then brings me back to the eighth command. Okay, in the light of that. What does God include in this eighth command? And I boiled it down to two broad areas. The one I've just mentioned about uh, dishonoring the rights of the ultimate owner. But the first is, God says, do not dishonor the caretaker rights of others by seizing what I have entrusted to them. Is that clear? It's a long sentence, convoluted sentence. Don't dishonor other people by taking from them what I've entrusted to them. Don't do that. And there's so many ways we can do that. There's sort of the blue collar kind of stealing, like robbing a home or robbing a bank or being a pickpocket. And the Bible takes that up. It talks about that falling under the eighth command. Exodus 22 talks about that in just one of the verses. First verse says, okay, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and then slaughters or sells it, okay, that person has to pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So clearly that kind of burglary is included in the eighth command. But, okay, I began to see a lot of white color, striped color kind of uh, 
crime is also included. I mean, even though it's a different culture, things like money laundering and embezzling and insider trading and, and even downloading music that doesn't belong to you. Do any university students here? You know, the Bible, though, it couldn't envision that there. It, it includes it in the way it talks about it. I'll just show it to you quickly. Walk with me through this. Uh, we, in, in Exodus 22, 5, we find stealing as a result of convenient forgetfulness. Oh, I already heard of whew, over here. Because we can begin to see that. And, and back then it was this way. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or a vineyard and then lets his livestock stray and they graze in another person's field. All right. He's got to make restitution of the best of his field. Now, I, I doubt here in uh, Southern California that many of you think, oh, yeah, I let my cattle graze over in my neighbor's best grass. I I doubt that that happened, but I would suspect that if we stop and think about it, we can think about any number of books, uh, CDs, tools that we may have borrowed from a neighbor, always intending to give them back, of course. So this is the hard part about preaching this sort of sermon. As, As I get ready to preach it to you, I keep remembering all of these things. All of that falls in the Eighth Command or another way is uh, stealing through a delay of payment. Uh, Leviticus 19.13 takes that up. Do not defraud your neighbor. Do not rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Uh, I've begun to wonder whether many of us here in the U.S. can even imagine the stress that is put upon the world's poor because almost all over the world you have to pay for your rent, for where you're going to live, a month in advance. And often you are paid by your employer a month in arrears. There's so many people under incredible pressure. It it would call upon us, even though we live in a different kind of a world in which the financial systems are done differently, it would call upon all of us who are in places in which we have people who work under our care to try to make sure that we pay promptly. And on the other side, it would mean that those of us who have debts want to repay those debts as quickly as we possibly can. Because delay of payment falls under the Eighth Command. Do you know that there are many firms in the U.S. that are on the verge of bankruptcy simply because they have many of the people that are supposed to be paying for services rendered that aren't paying? Do you know that many future students, I learned this being at school, many future students are in danger of being able to never receive financial aid because so many students in the past have never repaid their student loans? This this failure to pay in a timely way falls under the Eighth Command, and it's a compassionate command. In in the Old Testament, I don't know if you know this, that God commanded that his people paid people every day. After they finished the day of work, they were paid because that belonged to them. Or or another thing that falls under this category of the Eighth Commandment is stealing through fraud. Uh, Deuteronomy 19.14. What it does is it prohibits taking your boundary stone and moving it from here over to here so that you take some of your, uh, your neighbor's property and it, it, it seems as if it's your own. Now, today that, that may not happen, but I'll tell you there are so many ways that this sort of thing happens. The temptation to switch price tags many times when people go into the store, or especially this one, this, this kind of, of fraud, namely fudging on my age to get a better discount. 
I saw that I'm aging here because I used to think about this one, about the fact I used to illustrate this one much more. You know, it's like a 13 year old going to the movie theater and getting a better price because you still say you're 12. Now, I think on the other side of this equation, you don't get the discount until you're 62 or 65. Well, I could pass for that, I think, and get a better discount here. The Bible says that sort of dishonesty is really stealing and falls under the eighth command. One of the things the Bible talks most about, maybe it's their society, but I think it hits us too, is this stealing through unjust weights and measures. One of the places you read about that is Leviticus 19, 35 and 36, which we're told, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight or quantity. You use honest scales and honest weights. And as if it's just God is himself preaching the sermon, he says, because I am the Lord, your God. <laughs> Don't, they must have had a problem with this. Because the old Hebrew swindler would have two sets of weights. He'd have a heavy set for buying, a light set for selling. Now, you know, all of our, our, our bureaus of, of consumer, consumer protection won't allow that to happen. But I'll tell you, we human beings are awfully creative people. And we find ways to get around this. I think those of you who work perhaps as mechanics or providing services know the strong temptation of charging for an hour's work when it was only a half hour. Uh, the many here who are CPAs or attorneys know the pressure you often feel in your firm to bill more hours than actually being performed. There's so much incentive to doing that. Those things fall under the eighth command. And I, I can hardly touch upon the one that the Bible talks the most about. Entire books of the Bible are about this. The book of Micah, the book of Amos, just two talking to people who are in authority, using their clout, using their power for their own personal advantage and not for the benefit of those who work under their authority. Uh, there were leaders, political leaders in, in ancient Israel that were, whereas God says, use your authority to be a blessing to those who work under your leadership. We're using it only for their own personal advantage. Does that happen in our day? Any of us who have positions of leadership, don't we feel the weight of the temptation of this? Thinking, well, they don't understand the burden, the weight of leadership. I deserve a whole lot more, but not really caring for those under us. Read the book of Micah, read the book of Amos, and you'll see that God says, I do not like it. I will deal with that injustice. Uh, now, those are just some of the ways. It's, it's not hard, you see, for me as a, uh, as a pastor <laughs> to come up with all sorts of ways to make us all feel guilty. I just made a list here. Ready for it? In case you look way too encouraged. Uh, cheating on homework. Downloading music illegally. Not paying our employees enough. Padding an expense account. Taking parents' money off the dresser. Using the company's stamp machine for personal use. Being constantly late and robbing a friend of his or her time, I could go on and on. All of these fall under the eighth command. Those are ways that we steal from others some of the property that God has entrusted to others. And that's not even to mention that larger one that I mentioned, that ultimately this eighth command calls upon us not to dishonor the ultimate owner by failing to ask him, Father, how should I use what you have given to me? You see, this matter of being a follower of Jesus changes everything about us. And what I want us to see here is it changes us into honest people 
and actually people who will be a blessing to those who cross our paths. And this is why that Heidelberg Catechism rightly says, in the light of all I've said, look at this again. What does the Eighth Command require? And this is what it requires. That I seek the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can, rather than my own. And deal with my neighbor as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further, this Eighth Command... Demands, requires that I faithfully labor and generously give so that I may be able to care for the hurting and relieve the needy. It's really quite a command, isn't it? Which brings me to my last point. I I call it beginning steps down the path. If perhaps you now say, well, Pastor Greg, you've done a good job of making me feel guilty. Often people think pastors really like that. And this eighth command is one of the easiest places to do it. I'll I'll just tell you, you can just list all these things and then send us home. But perhaps you say, (laughs) where is the gospel in this? Where's the good news? And especially here's what I want us to think about. If you and I leave this church committed to obeying this, will my life really be better? And will we be a blessing in this community? That's what I'm going to try to get at by talking about beginning paths. Three statements. Number one, I want you to know that if you've come and you can see areas of your life that fall short in this area, I want you to know that forgiveness is available. I will preach this every week in this Ten Commandments series. You need to know it. You've got to remember that section in Ephesians 4 where Paul says, Those among you who are stealing, you must steal no longer. He was writing that to a church. He's a good, honest man. He knew, as all pastors know, that, that the evil's not just out there. That there were st- thieves right in this church. Would he say the same thing to us? Well, of course he would. Well, of course he would. But I want you to know that right there in, in the church, with the people, that he said, I have an opportunity to tell you something. God knows that. He knows you. And there is an opportunity for you to give that matter to him and for him to tell you, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm ready to take that sin and, and all the forgiveness that is needed for that and take that sin, forgive you, and throw that as far as east is from the west. I, I just want to always tell us here at Lake Avenue, whenever you come, that no one of us is outside the capability of the grace and forgiveness of God. Hallelujah. Isn't that why we come every week? We, we go through the week. We begin to see areas that aren't what they should. We come in. We're confronted with those things. We see ourselves as we are. And then we hear that God loves us and is ready to start again with us. And I want you to know that when it comes to this eighth command as well. But second, I have to say as firmly as Paul says it, you and I must become ex-thieves. The way he puts it, the one who steals must steal no longer. Uh, The Apostle Paul knew that this matter of of stealing, of taking things that don't belong to us, can become a pattern of life. So easy because we're made, you know, as material people. And you know our tug toward material possessions. The habit is one that has to be broken, even if everybody else is cheating in school. Even if all the other employees are taking home the company property. And they rationalize it so easily, right? Well, it's a big company. Man, they got a lot of money. And uh, they don't pay me enough anyway. 
The temptation is always there. And I've thought the deep, deep temptation on wanting to fudge on things like taxes, knowing that there are things that we can, we have the ability to hide, even though the temptation may be very great. You and I must learn to turn from sin. If it's become an addiction, you'll need some help. Uh, We'll want to pray for you and that the Spirit of God will empower you. And you may even need some professional Christian counseling. We'd want to provide that. And you can look on the worship folder. And on that worship folder, we have our counseling center's email and telephone number. Be sure to call because we want to provide help with this. I'm just so convinced that that one thing that our faith in Christ must do for us all, it must turn us into honest and generous people. Our faith in Christ must turn us, if if we're going to represent Christ well, into honest and generous people. Which brings me to the the third thing I want us to consider about steps to take. And that's this this thorny, difficult matter of restitution. Did, Did you notice that as I read some of those texts, that the eighth command is a little different from some of the other commands? In some of the other commands, we can't go back and undo what we've done. But sometimes... Uh, in this eighth command, when we've stolen something, we can identify what it was and from whom we took it and go back and pay back. It's pretty, pretty serious stuff that the Bible talks about. Maybe as a, partly as a motivation not to steal again. But in the Old Testament, that Exodus 22 text, if you've stolen cattle, pay five times as much and sheep four times as much, which seems a little dishonoring to the sheep. But it, it's really <laughs> it's really uh, one of those powerful things. And then in the New Testament, you know, after Zacchaeus met Jesus and realized he'd been stealing from people, he was going to give away half his possessions. In addition to that, pay back four times the amount that he stole. And he's just applying the fourth commandment to his life. Now, I know how complicated this becomes. Stick with me here. Because I've begun to think that this matter of restitution might might be of the things that I've mentioned so far this morning, the one that will help us, if we can apply it to our lives, will help us to become the real blessing in the name of Christ to our world. Um, sometimes we cannot figure out what, we can't find the person from whom we've stolen, or maybe the things that we've stolen, it's just impossible to know how to pay back. If we've stolen a life, or a reputation, like in that movie, Atonement, How do you pay that back? If you've stolen a spouse, surely you don't pay back by providing four or five times as many spouses. So where do we find help with this? Well, I think we find help in Ephesians 4, 28. I want to show it to you again. So insightful. It's like the Apostle Paul is anticipating this question. All right, if we don't quite know how to pay back, how do we live in the light of the fact that we know that there are times we've taken things that don't belong to us? So... First of all, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. We know that. But here's what you do. Work. Instead of doing things negative with your hands, do something productive, useful, helpful with your hands so that you may have something to share with those who are in need. Begin having lives that are open to people. Beginning to make sure that we gather some of our possessions And have them available for people that God may bring across our paths. So that whether they deserve it or not, just like you and I don't deserve his grace, that we have something to be able to share with people who are in need. If we do that, don't you think that we'd begin making a real difference here in Southern California? Uh, Just a month ago, Chris and I were back in Wheaton, Illinois. 
um, there, were, there was a grandmother there and a granddaughter at a fabric store that we were going to. You can, you can guess which of the two of us wanted to go to the fabric store. <laughs> Husbands, you know, right? Imagine me trying to... Anyway, we were at a fabric store. And in the line in front of us, uh, there was a, a grandmother and her granddaughter. And the grandmother said, I'm, I'm not buying anything, but when we were here earlier today, uh, my granddaughter had stolen just a small article, like cost like 50 cents. They had driven a long distance back with the cost of gasoline, a long distance back, because the grandmother wanted to make sure, as a Christian, that she would actually repay. And her granddaughter had the opportunity to repay what had been stolen. The clerk was just astounded. Maybe you've had this sort of... Because people don't do that. They just grab things and, well, it's a small item and it's a big store. And in fact, the clerk was so astounded by it, she called the owner of the store and asked the owner to come up and said, look, look what happened. It was such a beautiful thing. Wanted to thank both the grandmother and the grandfather, the granddaughter for doing what was good and what was right. It's, it's, it's a different way of, of living than the way so many times we're tempted to live. Or I was talking about this on Tuesday. I was meeting with Pastor Albert and with Jeremy, Jeremy Rose talking about this text. And Pastor Albert told me uh, a story that's recorded in Phil Yancey's Rumors of Another World. I like that title. Uh, Rumors that there are people in this world who live according to a a different drummer, different rumors of another another world. And uh, because Albert knew of this story of when apartheid came down in South Africa and Nelson Mandela had appointed Desmond Tutu uh, to head the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They made a tough decision that they were not going to require this kind of of retribution and payback because they recognized that so many of the things, they didn't know how they would pay it back. Instead, they would call people into the courtroom and people were asked to tell the utter truth to those that they had robbed and stolen from and the other person was given the opportunity to respond. I, I don't know if you know, but listen to this. This one story is unforgettable. There was a policeman named Vanderbroek, Vanderbroek, Dutch name, told of how he and his fellow officers shot an 18-year-old youth and then burnt the body in front of, of the mother, just turning it over and incinerating it so all the evidence would be lost. Then eight years later, they went back to that same home and took the father and forced that wife to watch as he was incinerated. So you can imagine, years later, she was in court to hear this confession of Vanderbrook. And after he'd given it, She was asked by the judge what she wanted him to do. She said she wanted Vanderbrook to go to the place where they had burned her husband's body and gather up the dust so she could give him a decent burial. And then she said, may I ask him one more thing? And this is what she asked. I want to put it up here so you can see it. Mr. Vanderbrook took all my family away from me, and I still have a lot of love to give. So twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him now so that he can know my forgiveness is real. Spontaneously, it's reported. Some in the courtroom began singing Amazing Grace as this elderly woman made her way up to the witness stand. But Vanderbrook apparently never heard the song because he had fainted, overwhelmed. 
I tell you, I read that and I thought, I still have a long way to go to grow in living Christianly. You see, she intuitively knew that when so much had been stolen, there needed to be some appropriate response. But it was not an eye for an eye, because that would have never satisfied. She found a way that went beyond mere notions of retribution and justice to an opportunity for healing. We were talking about this, and Jeremy said, what would happen if all of us at the Lake Avenue Church would develop this way of seeing the world and this way of living? What would happen if this many of us began to see the world this way and grew to live in this way, rather than always looking for myself and that I've been victimized, always wanting to offer grace and hope. Well, I think first, if I believe the Bible, things will go well with us. I think we will have a greater joy and a deeper sense of shalom, peace, than we've ever experienced. I think, number two, this church will be a blessing in this community. I think people will be happy that we're here. What do you think? And then number three, I know this, that our Heavenly Father will see us and he will smile. For we are showing his ways to this world. And all of this is to be found as we seek to obey the eighth command. You shall not steal to his glory. Amen. We glory to God.